So when we go to preach, one of the things we try to do is, of course, open up the word of God to you. But another challenge is to make it engaging so you stick with us and you remember it, right? And that's why we'll stick in some humor, some stories, that kind of stuff. Of course, one of the tricks is you got to make sure the humor serves the sermon, not the sermon serving the humor. That's not the point of it, right? But every once in a while, we come across a passage like this morning that, that I, I come to a place where I just really don't care to entertain you. <laughs> uh, but it's just a passage that is so rich and so beautiful and so deep that I just swing for the fences. And so I'll warn you from, I'm just going to unload both barrels on you. Hope it's good. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So we've been going through Second Corinthians and we've been in chapter 5. We come up to verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 begins with these five words. All this is from God. All this is from God. Now, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. What is he talking about? Well, if you, I want to ask you as your pastor that this afternoon you read back through chapters four and five of Second Corinthians because you'll notice something. See, we give it to you chunk by chunk, week by week, and so you miss that it's all strung together. And in those two chapters are some of the most beautiful passages. Some of my favorite passages are in those two, and it's just awe-inspiring. And so Paul gets to verse 18, and he goes, all this is from God. All this is from God. Like, I'll give you one peek, one example. We ended last week at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then the very next thing Paul will say is, all this is from God. What's the point? The point is that a human mind could never give us this stuff. Paul is celebrating the divine source of this truth. All this is from God. And then the very capstone of it all is the gospel. And that's what we're going to dig into today, verses 18 through 21. It's just the beautiful gospel. Let's look at it together. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I I just got to, that is loaded. That is so loaded. There's two things we're going to look at the message of reconciliation, and then the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so we'll start out with the message of reconciliation. And I told you, I'm just going to throw it at you this morning. So I'll move our passage to the bottom there. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the desire. Because something is implicit in this text that you might have missed. God has a desire, and that desire is relationship. 
Over and over the passage talks about reconciliation. You understand, reconciliation is relational language. It's not about religion. This is relational stuff. He wants reconciliation with you. He wants to adopt you as his child. That's God's desire. It's assumed in the text. That's God's desire. Of course, there's a problem. There's a problem. Reconciliation implies a broken relationship, right? And whenever there's a broken relationship with God, know this, God didn't move, right? God didn't move, we moved. What we did is we decided to throw in with Satan. We joined Satan's cosmic rebellion against the throne of God. We said, that'll be our team. We'll choose him. And that is going to be a problem. So God can't simply say, you guys, silly billies, come on in, you big lug. Ain't no big deal, boys. We'll be boys. Come on. Get on. No, no, no. You understand? God is holy. God is just. God loves holiness. God loves justice. So he must have wrath towards our rebellion and towards our sin. Our sin is a violation of the very nature of the created order. It's a violation of the very nature of reality. It is spitting in God's face, trying to take his place on the throne. He can't simply say, shoot, no big deal, come on in. Can't. If he does that, then he is not holy and he is not just, in which case he is not God. He's got he's to judge it. But let me help you get at it this way. How do you feel about a child rapist, a pedophile that rapes a little kid? Now, let me give it to you a little bit more. There's a human judge that that, that guy's caught. He goes before the human judge and the human judge says, ah, you, no big deal. You go on, you go free. How do you feel about that? Okay, know this. The gap between you and God is infinitely greater than that pedophile and a human judge. We're splitting hairs there. The gap between you and God is infinitely greater. He can't possibly say, ah, no big deal. It must be paid. But we have a big, big problem. If we pay it, we're wrecked. We're screwed. There's no way. We can't possibly afford that debt. So what's going to happen? He's got to maintain his holiness and justice and judge it. It must be paid. And so he steps in and pays it for us. So now his holiness and justice are maintained, but so is his love and his mercy and grace. And you only get that intersection at the cross. It's the only place you get it. But there cannot be a wink, wink and a sweep it under the rug. It must be paid. All this, all this is from God. So let's talk about the payment. Someone's got to pay for your sin and you have two options. It'll be you or Jesus. Those are your choices. And so this passage talks about substitutionary atonement. Now that is a theological term. What it means is that Jesus died in our place. He's our substitute. We deserve that death. He took it. He subbed for us. 
And when he did, he atoned, he paid for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Substitutionary atonement has fallen on hard times in modern ages. A lot of people are dogging it. Uh, that just makes God so seem mean. He seems so mean. He's so wrathful. When he killed his own son, that's divine child abuse. Kid you not, they use that term. Divine child abuse. Oh, that's not in the Bible. Oh, no. Really? It's all over the Old Testament and New Testament, both. It's, and, and it's right on display in our passage. I underlined some things. Look at the end there. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place, right? That's what it says. And then above that, if you look at it, it says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now notice, it's not that we don't have trespasses. That's not what it said. It says that he didn't count them against us. Why? Because they are paid by Christ. They've been paid for. It's judicial justification. It's not innocence. Oh, we're not innocent. He just doesn't count it against us because Christ paid for it. And it would be uncool of God to require it of Christ and then again to require it of us. That's double dipping. You can't do that. But there was a cost. The Son of God, Jesus himself, had to bear that sin. He died in our place. Now what this means then is that Christianity cannot possibly be another world religion. One among many. No, no, no. It's completely unique. Everything else in the world is man striving up trying to get to God. Only in Christianity do you have God coming down to man. That's different. That's very different. Everything else is human works and human effort and human striving and human trying. Only in the gospel do you have the grace and mercy of God while still maintaining his holiness and his justice. That's why in the passage it says in Christ. You have to be in Christ. There is no other way. Everything else is human effort. It's human striving and human works and it's completely futile. Imagine this. Imagine, let's say the gulf between us is the Atlantic Ocean. Let's say God's over in Europe. No idea why God would want to be in Europe. There he is, okay? So we want to get to God. We want to be reconciled. We want to bridge this gap between us. So we go down to the eastern coast of the U.S. We're in New Jersey. Get out quick. It's Jersey people, right? All right. Sorry, TJ. But uh, so, so we jump into the water and we all start swimming to get to God. Now, some of you, Okay, a lot of you are younger than I am, right? And, and you might be in better shape. Maybe you're a better swimmer. Let's assume you're going to get a mile or two past where I drown, when you drown. See, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. The point is we all drown. Not one of us is able to swim across that ocean. Question, can God step across? You understand, like the Atlantic Ocean, it's not even a puddle to God. It's like a little tiny drop of water. He just said, that's easy. That's easy. Can you jump up to God? No. Can God come down to you? Yes. And he did. He did. God bridged that gap in Jesus Christ. And that is why the central message of Christianity is not do, but done. 
It's not about what we do for God to earn His. No, it's about what has been done for us in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. It's John 14, verse 6. But there was a cost for it. And so to sum up both of these things, here, John Stott put it beautifully. He said this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. You see that? It's beautiful. All this is from God. All this is from God. Now, what I don't want you to miss in the midst of it, though, is the focus. Take a moment and let your eyes wander over that passage and ask yourself, who is the focus here? Who's the focus? You might say God. You might say Christ. Same thing. God is clearly the focus. He gets all the glory. He thinks of this plan. He initiates it. He pays for it. He's the prime actor. He moved toward us. He reconciles us to himself, for himself, so that we would be worshipers of his. We would be ambassadors of him. It's all about him. What did we do? Well, we, we played a small part. John Edwards sums that up. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. There you go. There's your part. There's my part. That's what, that's what I did. That's all. I mean, look back at the passage. I underline a few things for you so that you catch the focus. Through Christ, in Christ, for Christ, on behalf of Christ, you start to get the idea that maybe we're not the hero of the story. Maybe we're not the focus here. Jesus is the hero. He gets all the glory. And when we get home to heaven someday, the only other people in heaven are going, yeah, I've got no idea how I even, like, I don't deserve it. You know what? It's Jesus. Jesus did it. It's just Jesus. And so there's no bragging in heaven. There's no self-righteousness in heaven. The only thing going on in heaven is worship of the hero, Jesus himself. That's it. In in fact, think of this. Do you ever wonder why God created us anyway? Like, remember God's omniscient. To be omniscient, that means you know all things logical and possible. That's how he knows the future. He knows all things that could happen. So he knew exactly what would happen. When he decided to create us, he knew the fall was coming. He knew the rebellion, the sin was coming. He knew there was no way to overcome that except that his son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, would have to go to the cross and die and pay for that. And he created anyway. Why? If it was just about our problem, he could have solved that just by not creating. Now the problem's never there. Done. But our God decided that a universe with the gospel is better than a universe without the gospel. He wrote a story to his own glory. And in the gospel, he puts himself on display. He puts his glory on display. And he is raising up for himself worshipers and ambassadors. It's all about him. After all, all this is from God. 
It's all about him. Oh, and then we come to this. The great exchange. I underline verse 21 for you at the, the bottom. Verse 21 is nicknamed the great exchange. And what it, what it puts before us is this idea. That Jesus Christ had no sin of his own. Right? He who knew no sin. Right? So he has nothing but perfect. He is dripping with righteousness and holiness. That's all he's got. Now, you and I, <laughs> different story. Uh, we've got nothing but filth and sin just dripping off, off of us. And Jesus walks up to us and says, hey, do you want to trade? You want to swap with me? That's the great exchange. And the great exchange is a double cure. Yes, yes, he pays for your sin, but he did more than just that. Verse 21 tells us. You see, to be in God's presence, I don't know if you knew this, you need to have perfect, positive righteousness. Wait, does the Bible say that? Yeah, it actually does. Look at this. Here's Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So it's not only that you're blameless, but I should have underlined the next, and does what is right. You have to have positive righteousness. Otherwise, you can't be in God's presence. Or look at Hebrews 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Ruh-roh. We got a problem. And it's not a minor one. Eternal heaven or eternal hell is on the line. That's what's on the line here. If he only pays for your sin, you go from deficit up to zero. And zero is not enough. You have to have positive, perfect righteousness to be in God's presence. How in the world are we going to pull that off? And so theologians talk about positive and negative righteousness. It's a double cure. It's not only that he negates your unrighteousness, but also he adds his positive righteousness to your account. If you look in the passage, it says we become the righteousness of God. What? Yeah, it's, it's not only that he strips our wretched rags off of us and burns them, but then what Jesus does is he peels off his robe of righteousness and wraps it around us. And we enter heaven in the righteousness of God. It's imputed righteousness in other theological terms. It, it means that it is credited to your account. And actually there is a double imputation going on. Here's what that looks like. It's not that Jesus was actually a sinner. You get that, right? It's not that Jesus actually was a sinner, but he got treated like a sinner by going to the cross. Oh, and by the way, it's not actually that you are a righteous person, but you get treated like one. You get reconciliation. You get relationship with God. You get eternal paradise. You get treated like it. When he swapped places with us, that was a double cure. We traded wretched rags for robes of righteousness. 
All this is from God. All this is from God. And one of my great concerns as a pastor is that you're just not shocked by it anymore. And that's what I want to talk about next, the shock. And the big problem right now is that we have grown too used to the gospel, that we actually would yawn at it. So just wipe all that from your brain for a second. I want to talk to you about a school bully. A school bully who, you know, big dude, small heart, mean, cruel, particularly towards one kid. It's always the scrawny kid, right? The little kid. Uh, wears glasses, brainiac, straight A's, but not that socially gifted. And this bully is just mean. Picks on the kid all the time. So the kid, every day at school, it's about shame and public humiliation and pain. He's crying because he's bullied. Then he gets bullied because he is crying. He lives his life at school red-faced. Over and over, day after day, no defense, no protection. And then it comes out. And the bully actually gets expelled. Well, he's supposed to get expelled. But then something happens. Then the victim of the bullying says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't expel him. I will be expelled in his place. And oh, by the way, take all my straight A's and transfer them to his grade card. And about the bully, bully, I, I think you actually, you need a friend. I want to be, will, will you be friends with me? Listen, if that happened at Stowe Monroe Falls High School, you would be shocked. You'd be like, no way. You got to know something. That is nothing. What we're talking about in the gospel is that Jesus Christ, I I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Jesus Christ is the perfect one. He's the holy one. He's God himself, our creator, who gave us life, and we gave him the finger. Now once, daily, over and over, and we join Satan's cosmic rebellion. We said, that's our team, and we're in mutiny. We're traitors against the kingdom. And he ought to kill us. But instead, he decided to be killed for us. And he went to the cross. And as if that weren't enough, then if we become in Christ, then he takes his righteousness off like a robe and wraps it around us and we enter into paradise in that way. That is nuts. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Grace is amazing. It is shocking. And I'll tell you what. It is not surprising that anyone goes to hell. It's surprising that anyone goes to heaven. In our culture, we're kind of shocked by the idea of hell. We ought to be shocked by heaven. I can't believe anyone gets to go there. That's the shocking part. All this is from God. And I hope there's an impact on your life. I want to talk for a moment then about the impact. Take a moment and think of this. Over the last week, how do you think God looks upon your life? What does he feel when he sees you? And if we're honest, most of us think God is disappointed with us. He sees all the sin that we continue to do. He sees us wrapped in our sin. And if that's how God sees us, then you are darn right. He's disgusted by you. He's disappointed in you. He can't believe you're like that. 
He doesn't want you as his child. He's ashamed of you. But that's not what the passage says. That's not what the scripture says. What this says is that not only is my sin debt, my death penalty paid by Jesus Christ, not only that, but then I am robed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You understand, God never put much stock in your righteousness. He never bet on that horse. (laughs) He's much too smart for that. But God is a huge fan of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when he looks on you, he sees you robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Perfect. And a huge smile breaks out on his face. And he could not possibly love you anymore. He sees you as perfect in Christ. Now, question. If you keep that in mind, how will that impact this next week? How you think God sees you in your life and views you and emotionally responds to you? How will it impact tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? And how you feel about God? It's huge. All this is from God. Of course, it's not automatic. There is a requirement. And the requirement is repentance. After all, keep in mind, this is about reconciliation with God. That we want God. We want to be connected with God. We want to move toward God. We want reconciliation. This is not about a get out of hell free card where we ignore God. That's not it. It's about reconciliation. Now, reconciliation with God means that while, yes, you are still living an imperfect life in an imperfect world, You are no longer in your heart leaning towards rebellion. You are leaning towards Jesus. And therefore, you're growing over time. You want connection with God. You want holiness. You want his kingdom. You want growth. So you repent. And you live humble. And you make progress over time. If not, if you're just still a full-blown rebel... That's not reconciliation. And then you're not in Christ. You're still in your sin. You still belong to the rebellion of Satan. So you understand the king is incredibly forgiving. He's a very forgiving God. But you can't still be trying to usurp his throne, still be shirking his sovereignty, still be joining the rebellion, still denying his role, his rule in your life. You can't be in that posture and then go to God, yeah, but he's good, right? No. No, the requirement is repentance. And if there's true repentance, then there ought to be growth over time. And yes, he sees me as completely holy in Christ. At the same time, God is neither naive nor ignorant. He's a good, loving father, and he wants to help me grow in my conditional, not my positional in Christ, but in my conditional holiness. He wants to see me grow over time for my own well-being. I mean, he realizes that as I choose filth, I'm hurt myself. That's Satan's lies. That's not real life. That's not true. And he wants to give me the good stuff as a good father. So for my own healing, but, but then also... Because he has a kingdom mission in mind for me and for you. All that 
was only the first half of the sermon. (laughs) That was just the message of reconciliation. It won't be as long, but I do want to next talk about the ministry of reconciliation. And for that, let's go to some things I've underlined there. Okay? It says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. See, it's not just the message of reconciliation. It is also the ministry of reconciliation. And one of the things he talks about in there is he refers to us as ambassadors. That's such a great term. It's a loaded term, though. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. Think of uh, an ambassador from our country to another. What's that mean? What does an ambassador do? Well, essential to it is an ambassador lives in a foreign land. It's the only way it works, right? So, so you live in a country to which you don't belong. You're not a citizen of that country. Your home is far away, and you can't wait to get back home. You love your country. And you're looking forward to going home someday. And you don't want to be a citizen of that country. You don't want to act like the citizens of that country. But nonetheless, you're there. Why are you there? Well, you're there to represent your king and his kingdom. That's why you're in that foreign land, to represent him. Now, in order to represent him, of course, you have to have a a network of connections. Like if an ambassador just goes to another land and never talks to anyone... (laughs) Doesn't work, right? You, you gotta you have, have connections and relationships. And so that's being an ambassador. And while you're there, you represent your home country. And notice though, it's also by your actions, not just your words, right? Like, so if an ambassador is really rude to a server at a restaurant, that's going to be front page news the next day, right? If an ambassador is yelling at his spouse, his kids, Front page news the next day. Granted, the, the, uh, all ambassadors are human. They make mistakes. And so the way you maintain the dignity of your home country is you say this. I am so sorry. That was wrong of me. Please know that does not reflect my king and his kingdom. Would you please forgive me? And so a big way that we maintain our ambassadorship is through humility over our filth. That goes on. But it's not just with our life, but it's also with our message. So an ambassador is not sent to another country just to be there and be good. Just don't screw up. Just be a nice person. Uh-uh. You are a spokesperson. You are a mouthpiece for your king in that foreign land. It says God making his appeal through us. We are representing the king in a foreign land. And all, by the way, all this is not for our glory, but for his. Like, like think of an, um, an ambassador who goes around going, hey, aren't I a great ambassador? Pfft. Man, look at me. Aren't I awesome? Uh-uh. Can I just tell you what a great king we have? Can I tell you what a great kingdom he has? All the glory flows back to him. Now, let me be honest with you. Many of you Christians want reconciliation 
without the ambassadorship. And that's not God's plan. That's not how he rolls. God builds through streets, not dead ends. God always builds through streets, not dead ends. The reconciliation and the ambassadorship go together. That's why this year we're talking about being on mission with God. And the idea is that you're sharing the message of reconciliation with people. And so you take one of these yellow ping pong balls, you write somebody's initials on it because you shared the message with them and you drop it in the atrium. And our hope is that then that person comes to faith in Christ and we get a green ping pong ball and we write their initials and we celebrate that you drop that out there. But know this, God's plan is that every green one becomes a wealth of yellow ones. That these, there's no dead ends. There's only through streets. And so if you get the reconciliation, you also get the ambassadorship. They go together. This is what life is all about, people. It is a cosmic rescue mission. It's not about your bank account. It is about a cosmic rescue mission that we are called to join God on. Right? It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. What do we say about keeping up with the Joneses? There we go. (laughs) Screw the Joneses, right? That's not what life is about. It's about a cosmic rescue mission. He gave us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. He entrusted us with the message. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God, entreating you through us, be reconciled to God. That's why we're here In this land to which we don't belong, this ain't our country. We are citizens of heaven. It's in the Bible. Look it up. We belong to another land. We're just here as ambassadors. By the way, that's not a burden. That's a huge privilege. If you go into like the diplomatic corps, people spend their entire careers in the hopes of just one thing, that they could grab the golden ring, that they could be an ambassador. Oh my goodness, that would be so awesome. We have that privilege. It's not a burden. It is a huge privilege. If you look, look I, right in the center, I bold and italicize therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. Well, here it is. We are traitors against the kingdom. Usurpers of the throne. Joining the mutiny in the cosmic rebellion. Joining Satan. We looked at God and we looked at Satan. We said, Satan's our guy. That's our team. And we ought to be killed. But instead, the king decided to be killed for us. And as if that weren't enough, then he peeled his righteousness off of himself and wrapped us in it like a robe. Promised us paradise, gave us reconciliation with him. I mean, this stuff is just overwhelming. We love it. We're in awe of it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You can't shut us up. We just love this stuff so much. We've got to talk about it. After all, it is good news. The gospel means good news. It is a message of reconciliation, not a message of condemnation. I don't want to be an ambassador for condemnation. I'll be an ambassador for reconciliation, though. That's what we're called to do. It's a privileged, privileged role. And know this, God doesn't need you. This is a God who said he could make the rocks cry out if we shut up. He doesn't need us. It is our privileged position that we get to be ambassadors for Christ. 
Some of you want the reconciliation without the ambassadorship. So here's the thing. Some of you today, I'm hoping, I'm praying, that some of you will step into reconciliation for the first time. You've been screwing around in Christian religion for too long. Maybe you've just come recently and you're curious about this stuff, but you've never placed your faith in Christ, put your life in his hands, and been reconciled and gotten that robe of righteousness. Today's the day. For others of you, that's in the rearview mirror. You came to Christ a while back, but you've really not stepped into your ambassadorship. Today's the day for you to step into that. And I I told you up front of this message, I really just don't care to entertain you today. That's not the goal. I, I want some of you to be reconciled and I want the rest of you to be ambassadors. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus came. And that's what I want to pray for. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I can't believe it. Are you kidding me? Your gospel's ridiculous. It's crazy that you would do that. And we admit before you right now that we bring nothing but sin to the table and yet you died for us. Even though we rebelled against you, we didn't sin against another, we sinned against you. And yet you went to the cross for us. And as if that weren't enough, then you, you offer to robe us in your righteousness. You look on us with nothing but pleasure and love because that's how you see us in Christ. And if that weren't enough, you give us a privileged role on this broken planet to be ambassadors of yours because our citizenship is in heaven and we are in awe of you and love you and love your gospel and love your kingdom and we want to tell others about it. Father God, I pray that right now you would be drawing some who have never placed their faith in you to do that now. I pray others would say, man, I have just, I've been keeping up with the Joneses and it's time to move away from that. Time to step into my ambassadorship. Take us there, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.